Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Hello, this is Margot D, one half of the Margos for the Book vs. Movie podcast. We talk about films that are adapted from books, and you are listening to History Goes Bump. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. You spooktacular people, welcome to this 211th episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are bringing you Haunted Cemeteries 2, and we have four cemeteries on tap to share with you. We're looking forward to bringing that to you, and we are also going to be joined by Pam Ennis, who is the case manager for Pacific Coast Spirit Watch. She's joined us on some other shows. She's going to share a little bit about her experiences at the cemetery in Virginia City. Before we get into that, Denise, I don't know who put out the call. If somehow the Spooktacular crew is psychically drawing people towards the group. You didn't see the sign in the sky, like the bat sign, and it was a little ghost? (laughs) Oh, there was a ghost signal in the sky calling everyone to join the Spooktacular crew. That's what I think it was. We have had a crazy week. I can't believe how many people have joined us. I have a huge list here. Usually we have this kind of list after we've been on vacation and taking names for a couple weeks. So our admins have been very busy and our spookies have been very busy welcoming everybody. So let's go ahead and give them a shout out, Denise. Okay. We have S.B. McDowell. Hello, S.B. McDowell. Amy. Hey, Amy. Bridget. Hi, Bridget. Michelle M., who happens to be our sister-in-law. Hello, Michelle M. We also have Michelle A. And hello, Michelle A. And I believe you both spell your name with only one L. That is correct. Rebecca. Hey, Rebecca. Antonio. Hi, Antonio. Alexis with a Y. Hello, Alexis with a Y. Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Jordan. Hello, Jordan. Jay. Hey, Jay. Karistan. Hello, Karistan. Elba Gloria. Hello, Elba Gloria. Kay. Hello, Kay. Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Heather. Hey, Heather. Megan. Hello, Megan. Carol with an E at the end. Hey, Carol with an E at the end. And Carol with no E. And hello, Carol with no E. Mary. Hey, Mary. Paige. Hey, Paige. Gina. Hello, Gina. Mike. Hey, Mike. Candace with a D-A-C-E at the end. Hello, Candace with a D-A-C-E at the end. Don. Hey, Don. Sophia. Hi, Sophia. James. Hey, James. And Dina from the Twisted Philly podcast has come over to join us. And hello, Twisted Dina. (laughs) She's going to love that. (laughs) And now, this moment, Naughty. One will find a very unique grave inside Evergreen Cemetery in New Haven, Vermont. This burial reflects the very real fear people had of being buried alive decades ago. 
premature burials were not terribly common, but happened often enough that measures were put into place to help prevent anyone from dying because they were not quite dead when they were buried. These measures included waiting a few days before burial, guards at cemeteries listening for signs of life, safety coffins, and other creative means. William Tebb wrote Premature Burial and How It May Be Prevented in 1905, and he compiled 219 cases of near-premature burial, 149 cases of actual premature burial, 10 cases of bodies accidentally dissected before death, and two cases where embalming was started on the not-yet-dead. Timothy Clark Smith was a schoolteacher, merchant, a clerk for the Treasury Department, and a staff surgeon in the Russian Army. He had a fear of catching sleep sickness, which would give the illusion of death, and then that he would be buried alive. He died on Halloween in 1893 at the Logan House in Middlebury, Vermont. He left instructions for his burial. Those instructions requested that a square of glass be placed in the ground that led straight down to Dr. Smith's face. This way, if he woke up, people would see him struggling. That glass remains over his grave, although it is clouded by mildew and water now. A man buried with a window to the sky, just in case he was buried alive, certainly is odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, this month in history. month of July, on the 20th, in 1715, the Riot Act took effect in Britain. The formal act read, an act for preventing tumults and righteous assemblies and for the more speedy and effectual punishing the rioters. The law was enacted to prevent unruly crowds from gathering. If a group of 12 or more people gathered and were causing a disturbance, someone in authority, like the magistrate, was required to command silence and read the following. Our sovereign Lord the King chargeth and commandeth all persons being assembled immediately to disperse themselves and peaceably to depart to their habitations or to their lawful business upon the pains contained in the act made in the first year of King George for preventing tumults and righteous assemblies. God save the King. Any persons who failed to obey within one hour were to be arrested. While this seems a bit silly to us today with the violence that is usually associated with modern-day riots, people in the 1700s thought it was a bit harsh. But England had real reason to worry about mobs gathering. The English government was worried that Jacobite mobs would rise up and overthrow Hanoverian George I. The fear was well-founded as supporters of the deposed Stuarts did actually invade in 1750 and again in 1745. And yes, the phrase, reading the riot act, was inspired by this law. There is one absolute for all human beings, and that is that we will all die. Throughout history, humans have disposed of and honored their dead in various ways. Burying the dead and marking their resting place has been the most popular, and it has carried over to our modern era. Cemeteries have become a record of history for towns. Who lived here? When did they die? Why did they die? Was there a plague, a war, a natural disaster that devastated the population? Some of the interred at times wander from their resting places. There are tales of specters roaming about the tombstones in certain graveyards. Weird lights and mist have been photographed. 
On this episode, we have four cemeteries that seem to have unexplained activity. Those cemeteries are the Silver Terrace Cemetery in Virginia City, Nevada, which is actually divided into 11 separate cemeteries, Union Cemetery in Easton, Connecticut, Old Quaker Cemetery in Camden, South Carolina, and Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, Virginia. The combined histories of these graveyards cover the 1600s, 1700s, and the 1800s. Every class is found in these cemeteries, and each has its own legends and hauntings. Join us as we bring you Haunted Cemeteries number two. First, we have the Silver Terrace Cemeteries of Virginia City, and this was suggested to us by listener Darren Elquist. As you listeners all know, if you've listened to our back catalog, episode 177 featured the city of Virginia City, and it is reputedly quite haunted. It's said that the dead outnumber the living here. One haunted location is the final resting place for early residents of this once booming mining town of the Wild West. Silver Terrace Cemetery was established in 1867 and is actually made up of several separate cemeteries, 11 of them to be exact, and each is divided along ethnic, religious, civic, professional, and fraternal lines. There's a graveyard for the Masons, the Order of Oddfellows, Pacific Coast Pioneers, Knights of Pythias, Firemen, Wilson and Brown, Improved Order of Redmen, Mount St. Mary's Catholic, the Asians, and the city and county. The cemetery has terrace in the name because the graveyard sits up on a hilltop as a series of terraces. The plots are unique in that each is fenced in or has a border, which was the standard practice during the Victorian era. All types of materials have been used as headstones from the typical cut stone to wood to metal like white bronze. Most of the burials took place prior to 1920. Nearly all the people buried here were immigrants or born in a state other than Nevada. This serves as a testament to how the Comstock Lode attracted people from all around the world to come and try their hand at mining silver. The cemeteries qualified for a Save America's Treasures grant through the National Park Service because of their historical significance and they are under restoration. There are many forms of unexplained phenomena taking place in the cemeteries. One story goes that a glowing headstone can be seen at night. Some have debunked this as a reflection of light, but how to explain reports of ghost lights in the cemetery? Some are described as bluish in color. Others claim that the glowing on headstones is reflecting from a specter. The spirit of a girl has been seen walking among the rows of tombstones. The gates open and close on their own, and they are held together by a latch that would not just fall away. One of the more famous prostitutes in Virginia City was Julia Boulay. Her specter has been seen at her grave with a child at her feet, which is strange because she never had any children, at least as far as most people know. Pam Ennis of Pacific Coast Spirit Watch joins us now to share a few of her thoughts and experiences at the Silver Terrace Cemeteries. Hi, is this Pam? Yes, it is. Hi, how are you? We're great. How about you? We're warm. <laughs> it was about 107 today. Oh, okay, that is warm. But uh, other than that, everything is going fine. I've been listening to the podcast. It's great. Well, you thank you. You guys are doing a great job. Well, you're welcome. I love listening to it because I, I'm trying to come up with places that I can uh, possibly someday go visit. So I love listening to it, and, and I love the history aspect of it. I don't think people understand that. As far as paranormal uh, investigation goes, you need to look up the history in order to be able to understand what it is you're looking at. So I, I love the, the research that you guys do. So Pam, tell us a little bit about the Silver Terrace Cemeteries and your experiences there. 
we had permission from El Dorado County, and they let us go from cemetery to cemetery and do investigations. And we did that for about a year and a half, where we would go to these really old cemeteries. And after dark, we'd hang out and take pictures and do EVP sessions. And did you have anything happen while you were doing it? One of the girls that I was with, she got scratched. We were up in, and I don't know if you know about Georgetown. It's it's part of the gold, part of our gold rush area. We were doing an investigation at the, at the Georgetown Cemetery. One of our team was sitting in the Masonic area of the cemetery, and he was sitting on one of the slabs, and he was doing an EVP session, and when he played it back, he had a little girl giggling. Oh, that's weird. I have a, an 11-year-old grandson, and we take him on some of the less ominous tours. And what I did was I had access to uh, Matthew Kilgore Cemetery, which is in Rancho Cordova. My grandson was walking through, and the sun hadn't quite gone down yet. And I had been teaching him how to do EVP, and he was sitting there, and all of a sudden he came running up to me, and he goes, Grandma, I think I got something. <laughs> and when I when I was listening to it, A, I was very proud of him because he was being very, very polite, and he said, my name is Jesse, and I don't mean to disturb you, but I was wondering if you would like to speak to me. I mean you no harm, and you get this little girl go, <laughs> and I said, I think she thought you were cute, honey. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. You have your first EVP, and he was just beaming. It was in the evening, but the sun hadn't completely gone down yet, and it was, uh, fortunately, there was a police station right next door, so he felt very safe. We've gotten lights at the Silver Terrace. The catch with the Silver Terrace is because of all the vandalism that's happened out there at eight o'clock, be it sun or dark, you're out of there. And with it, by eight o five, the local sheriff will be sitting there asking you what you're doing in that, you know, in the cemetery after eight, because they have had lots of lots of vandalism in that cemetery. Well, they're set up really neat. uh, It sounds like each of the grave sites has their own little fence that goes around them. And then because it's it's called cemeteries, because there are several of them, are they just like right next to each other and connected some way? Well, you can go from one cemetery to the next cemetery to the next cemetery. Because what they did was you have the Masonic Cemetery and then you have the Catholic Cemetery and then you had the uh, Asian cemetery and the different sections of the city were buried in different areas. And so literally you can walk from one section of the cemetery to the other. They're not sectioned off completely, but you can tell when you're going from one to the next. And it's a beautiful, but you need to have your walking shoes because it's huge. You keep walking and walking and Next thing you know, you're over in this section, and then all of a sudden you're over in this section. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful old cemetery. Yeah, we definitely have to get out to Virginia City, because when I heard about that, I was like, oh, that just sounds so cool. And the main thing that I did hear about hauntings out there is what you just described. There were a lot of lights, particularly blue lights yeah. that people would see. We had talked about just over, I mean, we're talking literally on the RV park that's right there, and they rent cabins. And the cabins are pointed toward the cemetery. So you could rent the cabin. You could set out on the porch. You could probably capture the light in the cemetery. Since you can't get into the cemetery after 8 o'clock, that would be the best way to go because you could just sit there on your porch and get your camera out. And plus there's wild horses around there that just roam. It's beautiful. Well, you just made music to Denise's ears. (laughs) 
they're gorgeous. We've uh, we went up there and seen a herd of wild horses just running alongside, maybe oh. looking for a little bit of food or whatever. But they have a lot of them out there. They're and they're beautiful. I love going up there. Now, do, does the campground have campsites for like campers and RVs and stuff too? Ah, uh, yes, they do, and it has a little a uh, little grocery store that you can um, purchase any items that you might need. It's just on the edge of Virginia City which is where the cemetery is. As you as Depending on which way you're coming, if you're coming from Reno, you would go through this snaky sort of road, and as you come over, you see the, the cemetery, and then you see the RV park, and then you hit the city. And then way off of the distance is St. Mary's Art Retreat, which is a beautiful old building that used to be a hospital. Well, anyway, I'm going to let you guys go. Unless you have any other questions. I, I think that's it for tonight, but I know we'll have more for you okay. in the future. Okay, great. You know you know how to contact me. you got my email. you got my phone number. So We, we could stalk you. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, now you're tempting, you're tempting something. Don't do that. You know, I, could, I, I could do it right back at you. you that's know, true. Be careful. <laughs> All right. You take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Mm, bye-bye. Next up, we have Union Cemetery in Easton. The city of Easton in the state of Connecticut claims that it was shaped by four key forces, glaciers, English settlers, the Industrial Revolution, and Bridgeport Hydraulic Company. Algonquin tribes settled this area of Connecticut before the English started arriving early in the 18th century. Those early settlers established a community that emphasized education. That school system is still considered one of the best in the nation. The Industrial Revolution brought manufacturing to Easton, and it boomed. One of the key pieces of that boom was the use of water. The Bridgeport Hydraulic Company harnessed that water. And you guys know I always end up going down these little rabbit holes. Probably more than Alice. I think so. And I get lost a lot worse than Alice. At least I don't see any smoking caterpillars. So I guess that's a plus. You haven't fallen into a hookah den? No, I haven't fallen into a hookah den yet. But I was like, well, what is this Bridgeport Hydraulic Company? I'll just put it in there and see if I could find a little bit of history about it. Might add that in here to give us a little bit more information. And as I was doing that, I found this article in the Easton Courier that was written by Tom Spur. And this is what caught my attention. In 1885, the Bridgeport Hydraulic Company, which is going to be known as BHC from here on out, bought its first land in Easton from Elihu N. Taylor, who once owned a gristmill along the Mill River. The survey goes on to tell us that P.T. Barnum, yeah, that P.T. Barnum, came to town in 1886 and bought land along the Mill River. Mr. Barnum had started a company called Citizens Water Company, which will be known as CWC from here on out, to compete with Bridgeport Hydraulic. He built CWC Dam Number 1 on the Mill River. But within two years, the courts denied CWC the right to lay pipes under Bridgeport streets, and CWC sold its assets to BHC. BHC replaced the CWC Dam with Dam Number 2 in 1896. BHC continued to acquire land in Easton to meet the growing water needs of Bridgeport as its industry and population grew. So I was shocked, Denise, when I read this and I went, wait a minute, the circus guy, the sideshow guy was buying, he had a water company and he was buying up land and building dams and going to court over it? It blew my mind. At least until he ran off to join the circus. Maybe that's why he finally said, you know, I'm sticking with the sideshows. This water is just a loser for me. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, 
Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. The Union Cemetery in Easton dates back to the 1600s. The graveyard is next to Easton Baptist Church at the junction of Routes 59 and 136. The graveyard was made famous by the Warrens. They collaborated on the book, Graveyard, True Hauntings from an Old New England Cemetery. Now, some people may wonder, what in the world were the Warrens doing with this cemetery and writing a book about it? There's so many cemeteries everywhere. They usually do these huge cases. What was so special about this one? Well, for people who don't know, the Warrens are from Connecticut, and I believe Lorraine still lives there. And this graveyard, the Union Cemetery, was right down the road from them. So that's why they had particular interest in this. Of course, that makes some of the claims that they have about that cemetery a bit dubious. But there are other people who've seen things as well. So Ed did claim to catch a spirit in the cemetery that people have reportedly seen for decades, and that is our infamous Lady in White. You know how she gets around, Denise. Yes, she does. The cemetery has even been nicknamed the White Lady Cemetery because of her presence. The story behind who she is is legend, so we really are unsure of why she haunts this graveyard. One story claims that she lived during the 1940s and that she murdered her husband, and then she was murdered. Another narrative states that she was a woman killed near the turn of the last century and that her body was dumped in a hole near the Baptist church. A third story describes her as a woman who died a century ago in childbirth and now she roams around looking for her baby. Whatever the case may be, she is seen as a full-bodied apparition in a white flowing gown. The lady in white is not confined to just the graveyard. Drivers claim that she wanders beyond the gates and out onto the road where she pulls the old hitchhiking ghost routine. Not only have drivers pulled over to give her a lift, only to watch her disappear, some report actually hitting the spirit when it appears out of nowhere. One of these drivers was heading down Stepney Road late one night in his pickup truck. Just as he reached Union Cemetery, a woman appeared out of nowhere in the middle of the road. She was wearing a white dress that reflected in his headlights. He was unable to stop in time, and he struck her. He pulled over in an utter panic. He got out of his car and ran back to where he'd hit her, and the woman was nowhere to be seen. God, can you imagine? That would be absolutely, I can't even, like your stomach would go up into your throat and you would just feel like, oh my gosh, and then nothing's there. Yeah, and I would love to get more details about this. I mean, how solid was she? When you hit her, did she seem to dissipate? Was there any damage to the car? I mean, how? what was her body like? Was it more solid or did you hear a thud? I don't know, but uh, that would be scary. Next, we're going to head to the Old Quaker Cemetery in Camden. 20 minutes northeast of Columbia, South Carolina, is the town of Camden. Camden is South Carolina's oldest inland city and was founded in 1730. The city was originally named Fredericksburg and was established by proclamation of King George II. The name later changed to Pine Tree Hill and finally Camden. Irish Quakers began arriving in 1750 under the leadership of Samuel Wiley. He designated four acres of land for use as a cemetery. The cemetery was officially founded in 1759 and is known today as the Old Quaker Cemetery. Over time, the graveyard has grown to 50 acres and has several notable burials. The South Carolina governor from 1886 to 1890 was John Peter Richardson III, and he is buried here. There are three Confederate Army generals, Joseph Brevard Kershaw, John Doby Kennedy, and John Bordenay Villapique, and I do apologize if I did not get that pronunciation correct. A Confederate soldier who became a hero known as the Angel of Mary's Heights at the Battle of Fredericksburg was Richard Rowland Kirkland, and he is buried here as well. 
This is also the final resting place of two World War I Medal of Honor recipients, Richmond Hobson Hilton and John Canty Villapique. Abraham Lincoln's brother-in-law is here as well. The story behind Richard Kirkland is amazing, so we want to share that as another one of our little rabbit holes. The Battle of Fredericksburg took place on December 13, 1862. The Union took heavy casualties. The ones who could walk made their way to the field hospital, but those more severely wounded were left on the battlefield. The rising of the sun the following morning revealed that over 8,000 Union soldiers had been shot in front of the stone wall at Mary's Heights. Many of the wounded were crying out in agony, but no one dared to go to them since both armies were still there, hunkered down. Kirkland went to his leader, Confederate Brigadier General Joseph B. Kershaw, and asked for permission to help the wounded Union soldiers. General Kershaw denied the request at first, but finally relented. Kirkland asked if he could fly a white handkerchief, but the general said no because he didn't want the Union to think that they were surrendering. So Kirkland gathered as many canteens as he could carry, and he ventured out onto the battlefield, risking his life. He gave the wounded Union soldiers water and then went back and brought out blankets and warm clothes. No one fired a shot at him. Kirkland ran back and forth for over 90 minutes, and it said that he did not stop until he'd helped every wounded soldier on the Confederate side of the battlefield. A monument dedicated to this event can be found in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Kirkland fought at the Battle of Bull Run, Antietam, and Gettysburg, but it would be the Battle of Chickamauga where he would lose his life. And what's kind of exciting about that is we will be visiting Fredericksburg, Virginia on our road trip next year. So I'm super excited, as well as Antietam and Gettysburg. Yeah, so it's going to be fun to see some of these. Well, I don't know fun, but it'll be very interesting and moving and historic to see these locations. Absolutely. All of those buried at the Old Quaker Cemetery seem to be at rest, save for one, and that is Agnes of Glasgow. She was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1760. When she was an adult, she fell in love with British Lieutenant Angus McPherson. He was sent off to fight in the Revolutionary War, and Agnes was heartbroken. She decided that she had to be with him, so she devised a plan to stow away aboard a ship bound for the colonies. She arrived in Charleston in 1780. After asking around about her love, she found out that he had been wounded and was in a hospital in Camden. A Native American, King Hagler of the Watery Tribe, volunteered to escort her to Camden. There are two accounts as to what happened when they arrived in Camden. One claims that she found out McPherson was in the hospital, but he was gravely wounded and died in her arms. She then died of a broken heart. Another claims that McPherson had already died and been buried and that Agnes couldn't find him anywhere and that she searched high and low for him. As she searched, she became extremely ill and died from her illness. King Hagler buried her in the old Quaker cemetery. From that time forward, there have been reports of her apparition walking through the cemetery and even out to the roads as though she is still seeking her lost love. Strange mists form in the cemetery, and many believe that it is Agnes trying to take form. The Old Quaker Cemetery is located at 713 Meeting Street, and Agnes's gravesite is located near the cemetery gate. And finally, we have the Hollywood Cemetery in Virginia, which was suggested to us by listener Brandon Amsel. William Byrd III built his estate on the wooded hills overlooking the James River in Richmond, Virginia in 1758. He named it Belvedere. He took a number of financial hits and found himself in the position of having to sell off most of his property. He did this via a lottery in 1769. The Harvey family acquired a number of the lots that Byrd sold off in that lottery, and this included an area they named Harvey's Woods that would become the future site of Hollywood Cemetery. The cemetery is named for all of the holly trees growing in the area. 
It's located at 412 South Cherry Street and stretches for 130 acres. It was established in 1847 after two men named William Haxel and Joshua Fry visited Mount Auburn Cemetery in Boston. They formed the Hollywood Cemetery Company and set out to design the graveyard, and I believe 40 other investors joined them in that company. They enlisted Philadelphia architect John Notman to help with that design, and he is the one who suggested the name Hollywood because of the trees. The original plan incorporated 40 acres, and Notman attempted to preserve much of the original topography. Burial plots were terraced on the hillsides, and winding footpaths made the lots accessible. The Notman plan was implemented starting in 1848 and lasted through the early 1850s. To prevent erosion, an extensive system of culverts and drainage ditches were built along with a board enclosure fence around the property. Several man-made lakes were made to add beauty. The first monument was erected in 1851. Within two decades of its founding, a major addition was built known as President Circle. United States Presidents James Monroe and John Tyler are buried there. Tyler's tomb is Gothic Revival in design and is known as the birdcage, and I believe it's because it has a birdcage look to it with metal all around it and stuff. Confederate leaders Jefferson Davis and J.E.B. Stewart are buried at the graveyard as well in the Confederate section that was started in 1863. 3,000 bodies from Gettysburg were reinterred in 1866, and I believe in all there are 14,000 Confederate soldiers that have been buried here. A monument called the Pyramid was installed in 1869 dedicated to those Confederate soldiers. The 90-foot-tall granite pyramid was designed by Charles H. Dimmock. He was a captain in the Confederate Army. Their final resting place has been dubbed Gettysburg Hill. In 1904, the Hollywood Cemetery was expanded on Midvale Avenue because there was so much demand for burials. Amazingly, in 1911, it was discovered that the official authorization given to cemeteries allowing them to be burial grounds was never given to Hollywood. It was rectified at that time. So they'd been burying people for a few decades, and apparently they didn't have permission to do that yet. Well, it's a good thing it was rectified, because that could have been a mess. Yeah, especially because what they'd done is reinterred a lot of people here. The presidents had been reinterred here. The soldiers had been reinterred here. So can you imagine having to dig everybody up and move them again? Oh, geez. People started visiting the cemetery as a tourist spot around 1919. Cars had not been allowed prior to this except for when President Taft visited and the cemetery staff eased the rules for him. Probably because he couldn't walk around the cemetery. He had to be in a car. Yeah, that's true. Now cars were allowed and tours were even offered through the grounds aboard Ford cars. Tours paid 35 cents to be driven around the graveyard. Hollywood was expanded again in 1923 near Clark Springs. In 1969, the Virginia Landmarks Register and the National Register of Historic Places added Hollywood Cemetery to its list. Hurricane Isabel caused a million dollars in damage in 2003. President Circle was renovated in 2011 to add a new granite walk leading up to and surrounding the monument. More lots were added as well, allowing 1,800 new burials at the site. Restoration of several monuments, fences, and curbing also took place. The cemetery is open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. daily. There are several tales of the unexplained connected to the cemetery. The Pyramid Monument plays host to the first stories of hauntings. Usually around twilight, soft moans are heard coming from around and inside the pyramid. Drastic cold spots are felt at the various corners of the pyramid as well, and the disembodied cries of the unidentified soldiers are heard. And possibly that's why they are haunting this location, is a lot of them, when they were reinterred, as we know, at Gettysburg, they just would dig a big hole and throw everybody in. 
They didn't have time to figure out who was who. So when they were reinterred here, they didn't know who they were either. And obviously they couldn't identify people easily back then. So that might be why they're at unrest here, I'm thinking. The second stories of hauntings are connected to a young girl who died tragically in 1862. That little girl was named Reese and she died from scarlet fever at the age of three. Her grave is marked with a three foot high cast iron statue of a dog. It's believed her parents put it there as protection for her. And from that day forward, witnesses claim to see the spirit of a little girl playing with a dog at night by the grave. Groundskeepers, tourists, and locals all claim to have heard the sound of a dog growling and barking whenever they come near the grave. Even more bizarre are the claims that people have seen the actual iron dog statue move. Is the statue somehow coming to life at night to play with the ghost of Reese? I just find it so peculiar that they see this ghost of a little girl running around with a dog because it's like, where is that dog coming from? Exactly. And it, I would be interested to know once the statue moves, like, are there pictures of it in maybe just slightly different positions? That'd be kind of cool. Groundskeepers say that it will be pointing in a totally different direction. So it's drastic movement. So not just like a slight, like maybe shadow slight of the eye. No, it's not like you're looking at it and you kind of look away and out of the corner of your eye, you think it moves. It's that they're coming back the next day and finding the dog facing in a different direction. Oh, wow. There are more than just ghost tales connected to the Hollywood Cemetery. There is a vampire legend that is known as the Richmond Vampire. This story dates back to a tragic event that occurred on October 2nd in 1925. A tunnel was being constructed at Church Hill when it suddenly collapsed, sparing a number of the workers that were inside. People ran to help and witnessed what they described as a blood-covered creature with jagged teeth and skin hanging from its muscular body emerge from the rubble. This thing ran towards the James River and took refuge in the mausoleum of W.W. Poole at the cemetery. Obviously, this was not really a vampire. The real story is tragic. This was actually a 28-year-old railroad fireman named Benjamin F. Mosby. And just so people know, they were working on this tunnel, but they also were running trains through it, too. I don't know why. It's just a bizarre setup. But somehow a train was coming in under this. Some bricks fell that were towards the top of the tunnel. And that's what started this collapse. He had been shoveling coal into a steam locomotive when the collapse occurred, and this caused the boiler to rupture. Mosby's upper body was scalded and his skin was hanging from his body. He died the following day at Grace Hospital. We're not sure how this became a legend, but there are some who think that this vampire still makes the mausoleum its home. So we really had this creature crawl out of there. But it was this poor guy, more than likely, who was suffering these horrible burns and he probably was insane with pain and he was running towards the river, obviously, because he'd been burned so horribly. He thought, jump in the water to make himself feel better, I guess. But this mausoleum that was made for W.W. Poole, there are stories that accuse him of actually being the vampire and that he was run out of England in the 1800s because he was that vampire. So I'm not sure if these two stories got crisscrossed and they were already telling stories about W.W. Poole and this mausoleum being home to a vampire. And then when this guy comes running out looking like a monster, pretty much, and he's just running across the graveyard that somehow it melded into, well, he went into that mausoleum and now that's where the vampire is. But what is eerily creepy about this story is the ending. And as we like to say, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. When they dug through the rubble to get to the bodies of the workers, they only found one of them. And he was sitting upright in the cab of the train. And I believe he was the engineer. They could not find any other bodies. They also could not pull the train out. It was so trapped in the tunnel. and It was so unstable. 
So they just bricked everything up and it has stayed that way to this day again, because of that instability. So now if we have some bodies in there that they never pulled out and they've just been bricked in, possibly we might have some hauntings that are connected to that. Now, I haven't heard of any moans or anything like that coming from this area, but I just thought, wow, they just went ahead and bricked it up instead of trying to get the bodies out of there. And how bizarre that they were only able to find the one and he was it was like he was sitting there doing his job and just got buried alive. Aye. All of these cemeteries have interesting stories. But even better is the beauty of each of these graveyards. Monuments and headstones stand as an enduring symbol of life's once lived. And that is a wonderful thing. Are these cemeteries haunted? That is for you to decide. All right, so another four haunted cemeteries out there, and there are more to come. And what's really cool is we will be able to visit Hollywood Cemetery as well because we're going to be staying over in Richmond, Virginia, too. Our next episode, we were talking to Pam Ennis on this episode about the cemetery in Virginia City. Well, she's going to join us on our next episode about Preston Castle. She and a group did a paranormal investigation in June at Preston Castle. So she's going to join us to share the history of this location and some of the results that they got during their investigation. And yes, a few things did go bump while they were there. I was telling you guys about podcasts to check out. Well, we were at the Haunted America Conference, which was hosted by Troy Taylor, and he has started his own podcast named American Hauntings, and it is fabulous. The first season is featuring Alton and a lot of the haunted locations there, so you'll get to hear about a lot of the places that we have visited. Yes, and then if you come next year to the Haunted America Conference, you'll get to see them yourselves. We want to thank Debbie and her husband, Gary, for putting together a video of the pictures that she took at the Haunted America Conference. And we did share that video with our executive producers. So hope you guys enjoyed that. We really, really liked it. We want to thank Suzanne Silk for her email. And she sent a picture along that she made a little something for Denise. Yes, I want to thank her. They're two, instead of like being a headband for like Mickey Mouse ears or an actual hat, They're barrettes with like poofs on them and the poofs become ears when you put them on. But these ones happen to be black and they have a haunted theme to them. So they have like a ghost coming out of them. They're really, really fun. So I'm excited to wear them for Halloween, which is just right around the corner, according to the spooky people. Denise, next summer is going to be very busy. We're going to have lots of opportunities for people to meet up with us. First of all, we'll be doing the Haunted America Conference in Alton, Illinois again. And that is going to be June 22nd and 23rd in 2018. And then in July, the weekend of the 13th, 14th, and 15th, we'll be doing our first ever HGB trip. And we're going to be going down to the Florida Keys. We haven't solidified all of the plans yet, but on the list are Coral Castle, the Dry Tortugas, and of course, Robert the Doll. Then in August, we are going to be heading back to New Orleans for a weekend. This is going to be August 10th to the 12th. And the Pottern Love Conference is going to have its inaugural conference there. And it will be a great opportunity for you to meet a lot of the hosts of podcasts that you guys love, including us. And we're looking forward to going and meeting a lot of the podcasters that we love to listen to. And speaking of hosts, we want to thank Margot Donahue, who is the host of Book Versus Movie for our intro today on this episode. Yes, and then to round off 
the spooky year. We are going to be doing our road trip in September. We haven't set the dates yet. Going to be up to the Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Delaware area. So we'll be listing the ghost tours and the fun things we're going to be doing up there. If anybody up there can't make anything else and they want to meet us along along the way on the road trip. We invite you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We did get a comment from Gina Marie. I just wanted to let you ladies know how much I enjoy your podcast. I just found History Goes Bump on CastBox, and now I'm binge listening. I love history. I love that I'm learning something and getting to hear a ghost story at the same time. Thanks for producing such an awesome podcast. Oh, and if I ever get to Florida, I hope you're going to do a ghost tour because I'll be the first to sign up. Well, thank you for that, Gina. We got an email from Deborah. I've been meaning to send you guys an email to say hi and introduce myself, and I'm finally doing it. I found History Goes Bump a few months ago, and it's my favorite podcast. Two of my favorite things, history and spooky stuff. So I decided to become an executive producer. I pretty much binge listen to most of the back episodes, and I'm starting to listen to the bonus material on Patreon. Great stuff. The shows are fun and informative, and I love the interaction between the two of you. There's a whole bunch more places on my to visit bucket list now. And she also shared, Denise, that she had worked for Disney in California. And she's actually stayed at the Polynesian Resort. I know. So that was really cool. I don't know if you've ever heard much about it, but the studio in Burbank is pretty haunted. One of my friends who worked for Disney for 40 years is a sensitive and sees spirits all the time. She worked in the original animation building on the lot. Her office at one point was one floor directly beneath Walt's former office. She was close with Roy Disney until he passed and attended his funeral. There are several spirits that haunt that particular building that she used to see all the time. I told her about the podcast, and if you would have any interest in her doing an episode on the studio, I may be able to get her to tell you some of her stories. So we'll definitely have to put that on the list. That would be a lot of fun. I'm also a huge taphophile. I've taken over 25,000 pictures in cemeteries all over the country. I always research cemeteries wherever I go and try to visit as many as I can. I love the old elaborate monuments and looking for famous or infamous residents of the cemeteries I visit. My favorite is Crown Hill in Indianapolis, Indiana. I've always had a huge fascination with John Dillinger and he's buried there. It's where I'll be spending eternity as well. And then she gave us another location suggestion. So thank you for sending us that, Deborah. And I believe she's coming to town next week. So we're going to try to get together with her and do dinner. Yes. We have been interviewed on a couple of shows that are going to be coming up here. Patrick Keller over at The Big Seance. His next episode will be featuring Denise and I on there with him. So be watching for that. And I also did an interview this last weekend with Jeremy of podcasts we listen to that will be coming out in a couple of weeks. So we'll let you guys know more specifics on that. And of course, we'll get all the links out so that you can check those out. We do have some reviews to share. We have another one from Stitcher. This is Grace89, fantastic five stars, fantastic show. Denise and Diane are great hosts. The history and hauntings are fascinating every week. Thanks for that, Grace. And then over at iTunes, we have Ken's Ellie, Haunted History by Passionate Host, five stars. First, this is an awesome study in podcast makers learning on the air. You get to observe the quality improve as time passes. <laughs> well, thank you. I, we definitely have improved over time. Now I put this pod right with things you didn't learn in history class. Can you believe that, Denise? No. Wow. And sometimes it's more relaxed. Second, the hosts clearly love the topic, each other, and the community they have developed. If you like ghost stories, graveyards, and spooky places, this is the place for you. Well, thanks, Kens. We appreciate that. And then Sriracha, I am hooked five stars. If you enjoy history and ghost stories, then listen to this podcast. I'm always learning something new. 
the hosts of the show make you feel like you're sitting around talking with friends. I also love how they interact with their listeners. It would be awesome to be with one of their groups on a haunted history tour. I'm hooked. Keep bumping out great podcasts. Well, thank you for that. And we'd love to have you meet up with us too. We always have a great time. And lately we've been having some bumps too. So we want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producers, Patrick Wolf, Suzanne Silk, David Crabtree, Brandy Bledsoe, and Deborah Darling. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.